Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church right here in Spencer, Iowa. And we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod coming to you this 17th of October, the 20th Sunday after Trinity. And as we are now doing on this podcast, I turn your attention to the congregation of at prayer for this week, and we'll cover a bit from last week too. So if you can pull both of those up, you'll be able to follow along. And what we are going over on the congregation at prayer is the divine service catechesis on the top of the page. Now, in last week's congregation at prayer, the last couple questions dealt with how, throughout the history of the Western Church, the divine service got corrupted so that it needed to be purified in the Reformation. The divine service is often compared to a bush or a plant. It's organic, and over time it grows this way and that. And, well, after 1,500 years, the divine service, like a bush or a plant, had grown over time. Now, what had occurred in the Middle Ages was the corruption of Christian teaching. Now, what this corruption did was it confused law and gospel. It confused justification and sanctification. And it confused what we have called the sacramental and sacrificial elements of the service. The sacramental elements, if you remember, are those elements of the divine service where God speaks to us. He gives to us his gospel. And the sacrificial elements are those parts where we speak to God in response for all that he has given us. All of that in the Middle Ages in Christian teaching got confused and then it got corrupted in Christian worship. What had occurred in Christian teaching is that men were taught that their works could atone in this way or that for their sins. So if you performed a good work, if you prayed certain prayers, if you went on certain pilgrimages or performed certain fasts, if you earned or bought an indulgence, all that could atone for your sins, or at least take away the temporal punishment from purgatory. But as we said last week, what forgives our sins, what brings us salvation, is God's sacramental acts in the divine service. Our sacrificial acts do not save us in any way. Instead, our sacrificial acts are a response to being saved by God. They are a response to his salvation for us. But when the teaching of the church becomes corrupted, all that gets confused. Suddenly, sacrificial acts in worship are being taught and practiced as if they atone or forgive our sin. Then suddenly, the Lord's Supper is no longer seen as a sacramental act, a sacrament given to us. But it's then seen as a sacrifice that we offer up to the Lord. This was, as our form says, the fundamental error of the Western medieval church. Well, then, how did the Reformers purify the divine service? They did it by correcting the teaching, by correcting the confusions and teaching and teaching plainly law and gospel, by correcting the confusions and teaching plainly justification and sanctification, what is truly sacramental in the service and what is truly sacrificial, and keeping that which is sacramental as the chief part, the chief element of the service. Which makes sense, but then what about the worship of the non-Lutheran reformers, of the Protestants? Well, where if you were to take a look at the orders of service from Zwingli or Calvin or Knox, you'll see that in their reformations, they tried to do away with 15 centuries of church tradition. 
which is a problem, as we Lutherans see it. Church tradition, especially that which is in line with Scripture and Christian freedom, is a good, blessed thing. What the Lutheran Reformers wanted to be rid of is the tradition that crept in from bad teaching and was not in line with the Scriptures. We had no desire to wipe away all of tradition. But what came out of the worship services of the other Reformers, of the non-Lutheran Reformers, is the spirit of the same heir of the medieval church. The emphasis of their orders of worship was on the sacrificial elements of the service. It was all about what the worshiper was doing for God, not about what God does for the worshiper. So that for these non-Lutheran reformers, just as it was for the medieval Roman church, that which is sacramental in the service, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, began to be taught as sacrificial as what Christians did for God rather than what God does for us in the service. And so you had Rome falling off one side of the horse and confusing the sacramental and the sacrificial, and you had the non-Lutheran reformers falling off the other side of the horse. And no matter which side of the horse you fall off on, it always puts you in the same place where you don't want to be, under the horse. And that's not really a way to ride into town. But all of this shows that what you teach is how you worship, and how you worship is how you teach. It's a concept captured nicely in the Latin maxim, lex orande, lex credendi. That is, the law of what is prayer is what is believed. And then it also can go on to say, is the law of what is lived. Or as many pastors and theologians of ours like to sum it up, the law of prayer is the law of worship, and vice versa. What you pray and teach is how you will worship. And so we in the confessional Lutheran Church keep the sacramental as the chief element of the divine service, because it is all about God blessing us with his salvation, with his gospel. Well, with all that, we now turn to our matin service for the day and the hymn, Lord, we come before thee now.
Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him. All that thou hast done to us, O Lord, thou hast done in true judgment, because we have sinned against thee and not obeyed thy commandments. But give glory to thy name and deal with us according to the multitude of thy mercy. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy people. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness." Let Mount Zion rejoice, let the daughters of Judah be glad, because of thy judgments. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All that thou hast done to us, O Lord, thou hast done in true judgment, because we have sinned against thee, and not obeyed thy commandments but give glory to thy name, and deal with us according to the multitude of thy mercy. The Old Testament lesson for this 20th Sunday after Trinity is written in the 55th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the first verse. Come, every one who thirsts, to the waters. Come, he who has no money, buy and eat. Yes, Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in richness. Turn your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander to the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you don't know, and a nation that didn't know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The epistle is written in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, beginning at the fifteenth verse. Brothers, therefore watch carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunken with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always concerning all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, subjecting yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, O Lord, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who made a wedding feast for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My cattle and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the rest grabbed his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. When the king heard it, he was angry, and sent his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, 
The wedding is ready, but those who were invited aren't worthy. Go therefore to the intersections of the highways, and as many as you can find, invite to the wedding feast. Those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. The wedding was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man who didn't have on wedding clothing. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here not wearing wedding clothing? He was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and throw him into the outer darkness. That is where the weeping and grinding of teeth will be. For many are called, but few chosen. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last month, my bride and I celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary, and the years go by quick, but I can still remember the wedding planning and the wedding day like yesterday. Now, it's a lot of work, but we planned everything in six months. Our parents helped. We sent out announcements. We posted everything online for people to see. I think we even had our own wedding website. We sent out invites. We worked on getting back the RSV, RSVPs, and we worked on that and worked on that. We booked the church. We booked the pastor, the catering, the hall for the reception. We picked out the attire for the wedding party and the families. We even picked out the playlist <laughs> for the wedding reception. We planned every last detail. Now, not everyone that you send out invites to for a wedding will come and they'll RSVP, RSVP back letting you know we won't be there. And even all those who RSVP that they will come, they don't all show. And I think on average, nationally, it's like 73% of those who say they'll come actually do come to your wedding. And that's what happened to us. Many who RSVP'd didn't come. They instead went to a football game or had a day on the lake or whatever excuse that they had. And on top of that, not everyone who came to the wedding, at least came to the reception maybe, came dressed for the wedding. There were a lot that came in jeans and a t-shirt. There are a lot from that crowd. And well, let's just say formal attire is not the Western culture's strong suit, at least not anymore. Now, with all of that happening with our wedding guests, can you possibly guess what never crossed our mind and what never crossed our parents' minds? None of us, none of us thought about raising an army to go kill everyone who ignored or rejected our invitation or to go burn down the city of Des Moines. We didn't consider anyone unworthy if they didn't show up. Not one of us, not a single one, thought of taking those who were not properly dressed at our wedding and throwing them out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, never crossed our minds. We just settled for taking the extra food home with us. <laughs> now, knowing how weddings tend to go, whether it's back 2,000 years ago or as it goes today, we can look at Jesus' parable this morning and probably guess that this is not your average wedding. And this is the parable that our Lord tells. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. But they paid no attention, and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Again, <laughs> as we read this parable, with murders, armies, and the raising of cities, this doesn't seem to be your average wedding, does it? Perhaps the most bizarre part of the story 
of all the bizarre things, the most bizarre is the reactions of those who had been invited. Because it's one thing to skip the wedding of some average Joe in Des Moines. It's entirely different to be invited to a royal wedding, which your king is holding for your prince. When the invite first goes out after all was made ready, notice how those invited simply ignore it. There's no excuses given to the king. There's no groveling to have their absence excused. There's no jumping to their feet to get ready to go. They all just ignore the king's message that everything is ready and his hall remains empty. And yet the king remains patient. He sends more messengers, more servants to spread the good news of this feast. And again, we meet the odd reaction of those invited. They simply ignore their king. One goes off to his worldly fields, the other to his worldly business. Perhaps they thought they could better celebrate the king's feast in nature, as many tend to think today. Then the reactions get even more intense. Servants are seized. They're arrested. They are treated shamefully. That is, they are beaten, persecuted. They have their names slandered and drugged through the mud. And then the servants are murdered. Now, why are all those who have been invited to their king's royal wedding feast refusing the invitation? And not only refusing it, but refusing it so bitterly. It's because these men want nothing of the feast and they want nothing to do with the king. Instead, they love their own farms, they love their own businesses, they love their own earthly lives and families more than the king and his son and his feast. More than this, by insulting and killing the king's servants, they show how they feel about the king. They hate him. They declare themselves his enemy. Every one of these, serv- every one of the- these who have been invited declares that they are the enemy of the king, from those that ignored the king to those who killed his servants. They all hate him. They all want nothing to do with him. And why? Because they sought that which was their own. They sought and loved more their own lives, their own works, their own merits, their own glory. The wedding feast is, as some may have guessed, the grandest of all suppers which sits at the altar here at church. The preparation for this feast on the altar was no less than the sending of the Son of God to earth to be incarnate of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The preparation for this feast was no less than the Son of God himself in our flesh, hanging on the cross in our stead, becoming sin for us as he offered himself up as a sacrifice to the Father, as he offered himself up as a sacrifice to the King himself. For us, the choicest of all men was there on the cross slaughtered. And the feast was made ready. This grand wedding feast was made ready when the spear went into his side and the water and blood were poured out, poured out to be offered to us here as the choicest of food prepared for us, the flesh and blood of the king's son himself. 
In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is speaking here of the Jews, those Jews that rejected the Gospel, who as a people had prophet after prophet after prophet sent to them, telling them that the feast was coming. And some prophets they ignored, some prophets they shamed, some prophets they murdered. Even when our Lord sent the apostles after his ascension, there again the unbelieving Jews either wrote them off, saying they were drunk, or they shamed them as they beat them for preaching the gospel, or they murdered the apostles as they drove the sword into James, the first apostle to die. And what happened? What happened after all that? Well, just as our Lord says in the parable, God sent his army, which was in this case the Roman army, to Jerusalem, who killed many and burned the city. Yet we must understand this is not directed at those unbelieving Jews only. We today are sadly often no different. Here, every Sunday, the invite goes out for the Lord's feast. It goes out to all those who have been baptized and catechized into the feast. And the invite simply says, come to the wedding feast, which is yours. And it's here at church, this wedding feast, every Sunday morning at the altar. And still, with this infight, having been invited, some ignore it altogether, never coming back after confirmation, or maybe never coming back if they get angry at someone at church and refuse to reconcile. Some, at receiving this invitation, would rather go off to their own farm than to the feast. After all, we are in the middle of harvest, right? Some would rather go to their business and fill their greed by working more and earning more money. Others claim that they, could, that they can honor the king and enjoy the feast out in nature, away from the wedding hall, away from the wedding, from the feastly table. They think that in nature that they can do better at worshiping the king than being in the king's actual wedding hall, when really what's happening is they despise the king's feast for a little more time outdoors. Still, it can be odd preaching this text to those that are here every Sunday morning because the they're the ones that are actually here, received the invitation and came. And maybe for you, you're not able to come to church and so you're listening to the podcast, same thing. But none of us are really innocent of this. How often do we place activities in our lives over the feast? Perhaps for a soccer game, a sports event, perhaps for a family event. Maybe we go on vacation and think, ah, we can skip church. Maybe we think we're just too tired from working all week. Better to stay home. That's what we think. And so throughout the church year, we make excuses. Rather than inviting our family to church, or finding that church is more important than the sporting event, or finding a church near our vacation spot, there are plenty of churches throughout the country, or we make excuses rather than coming here to rest at our Lord's feast, and then maybe taking a nap in the afternoon. Yes, there are times we find ourselves rejecting the king's invitation to embrace instead what is worldly. Our Lord continues the parable. The king said to his servants, Go therefore to the main roads and invite, the wedding and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. 
And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Put simply, we can understand elements of the parable this way. The servants going out with the invitation with the gospel are the apostles and pastors after them going out into all the world to proclaim Christ crucified. The time these men spent spreading the gospel and filling the wedding hall in the roads is our Lord's second advent. The time in these last days when we await for our Lord's return. The wedding hall being filled means the end of time has come. Although the wedding hall is so huge and there are so many people in it that I doubt the servants nor the guests knew that it was completely empty or when it was filled. They were surprised by the king's coming to look at the guests, just as we will be surprised when our Lord descends from the clouds. And just as our Lord will separate at that time the sheep from the goats, so the king here separates the unfit guest, not properly dressed, from those who did wear the proper wedding garments. And well, let's stop there for a second and consider this. Now it makes sense that the king would separate those who refused his invitation and killed his servants from those who accepted the invitation and came. It makes sense that on the last day, those who refused, as in the first half of the parable, would be separated as goats from the sheep of those who actually came to the feast. But what about this man without the wedding garment and others like him? Why are they separated from the sheep when they too are at the wedding feast, when they too came? When they seem to have heard the invitation and they actually showed up? Well, let's go with what we know. This man wasn't separated from the others. He wasn't thrown out because he was either good or bad. Because the servants were commanded to invite anyone that they came in contact with, whether good or bad. And that's what they did. They invited those who were good and bad. Didn't matter. It wasn't because this man failed to earn the wedding garment by his own right. Again, everyone was invited right off the street. No one had time to earn the wedding garment or buy one of their own. No one was capable of it even. Instead, to cover their own unworthiness, they could only take the wedding garments which were given to them by the king. Now, the reason this man was thrown out was because, like all those who refused the invitation before, this man also despised the king, he despised the king's invitation, he despised the king's feast. And it showed that he despised all this because he would not, he refused to wear the wedding attire. To come to this feast, to come to the supper, we cannot come dressed as we are in the old man, the old flesh, the old Adam. To come up to this feast still wearing the old Adam would be to tell the Lord that we don't need his baptism, we don't need to put on Christ, we don't need his forgiveness, and that we think we can come we can commune with God in our own righteousness and worthiness. To be at the wedding feast without the wedding attire 
is to think that we can stand confidently in our sin before a holy, righteous, perfect, all-powerful God. Such are those who come to church, who sit in the pew, and who eat the king's feast, thinking they are doing good works to earn themselves salvation, rather than believing that the king has given it all to them by his grace, by his invitation, by his preparation in giving his only begotten son. To anyone who comes to this altar, thinking that they are bringing their good works and that they'll be saved by those good works. Also to anyone who thinks that we are being too contentious by practicing closed communion. Watch and see what the king will do to those unfit to eat of his feast, who still come to the wedding hall. He has them bound, hand and foot, and thrown into the eternal darkness the outer darkness. Our Lord says at the end of all this, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is both a comforting promise and a warning as we wait for our Lord to return in this second advent. It's a comfort because all are called by the gospel. The gospel of Christ crucified goes out to invite all sinners, all people, including you and me. That's who Christ was sent and died for, the entire world which God loves. It's not as if Jesus died for some and not for others. No, Jesus has many, which is a way of saying all are called by the gospel, as it is for you, as it is for me. But Christ also says that few are chosen. But that's not as if God chose some to be damned and others to be saved by some random divine chance. It's not as if God has sent his son to die for some and not for others. That's not what it's saying. Few are chosen because many called despise the invitation. They despise the gospel and instead seek that which is worldly. Or they persecute the church. Or they become hypocrites inside the church. The point of the parable is simply this. It's not to say, it's not to say don't come to the wedding feast. It's not to say not to come to the wedding hall. It's not to say not to not to come partake. But the point of the parable is simply this. When you come, repent. Daily in your baptism, take off the unfit clothing of the old man and put on the beautiful wedding garment of the new man. That is, daily put on Christ and his righteousness and receive the gospel invitation every day with joy. And every Sunday, come to the wedding feast as long as you are physically able. Cling to the invitation. Cling to the gospel. So that when the king comes to see his guests, We may be ready in his wedding hall to enjoy for eternity the wedding feast of the Lamb in all its fullness. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your guests are here. We are ready. Amen. 
Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Let thy mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me, O God, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Vouchsafe, O Lord, this day, to keep us without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us. O Lord, let thy mercy be upon us, as our trust is in thee. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Grant, we beseech you, merciful Lord, to your faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. 
Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We bless the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Praise Him and magnify Him forever. We give thanks unto Thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, Thy dear Son, that Thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech Thee to preserve and keep us, this day also, from all sin and evil, and that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please Thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and souls, and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
We are so glad to have you for this Matins podcast, and we invite you back next week for another Matins service where we'll hear from John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54 on the 21st Sunday after Trinity. The opening hymn was performed by the musicians of Christ the King. All other hymn music comes from smallchurchmusic.com. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church in Spencer or at CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this service, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, tell a friend, or leave a review wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for these podcasts or would like to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses at the top of the bulletin, which is included in a link with this podcast. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.